as we get into part two of understanding or discovering our true identity and destiny to really discover our supernatural lifestyle that God desires us to live, I want you to get this thought because this is where we are. If you're a born-again believer, a blood-bought child of God, on your best day, you're a child of God. On your worst day, you're a child of God. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you in your worst, on your worst day. In other words, in God's eyes, when you are at your best or you are at your worst, he sees you the same. Because we are only good because of him. We are only good through him. We are only good on behalf of him. And when we begin to understand that he has commanded us, commissioning with us, to live a supernatural lifestyle. What's that mean? A natural lifestyle that has super attached to it. Not a, not a super of this world, but a super of the other world, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He has marked you. He has called you. He has assigned you for such a time as this. Never allow the enemy to lull you into sleep that whenever you're believing for a... a, a a relationship and you get it or you're believing for children and you have them and you're believing for a degree and you get it and you're believing for a career and it happens or believing for a business and it takes place. Never allow that to be the maximum that you do or have in this life. But remember, that is only part of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. That you are a Christian. And what's that mean? Christ or Chris is Creo. You're Christ-like. What are you Christ-like in? It means anointing, right? Creo means anointing. Christ. Christians means that we are the anointed ones. What's that mean? We're not little gods. We are little Christ, right? We, we are, that word means anointing. We have the same anointing that our big brother Jesus and our Lord and Savior has. We have the same inheritance, but we also have the same mission, or he would not have told us in John 14 that you'll not only do the works that I have done, but you will do even greater works than these. We are the sent ones. We are the called ones. We are the answer. We are the need meters. We are the healers. We are the deliverers. We're, we're the freedom. In you, everything that this world needs through Holy Spirit, you have access to. And anything that you have access to, that means you have authority. You see, if you, you say, go out there and your car's locked and you say, uh, Pastor Art, would you go out and get this thing out of my car for me? And if I went out there and it's locked, if I don't have the key, I don't have access. But the fact that you have keys is the fact that you have access. Jesus said, what? In Matthew's Gospel 16, what? Whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. What? He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. He gives you the keys of the kingdom of God to bind and loose and to bring heaven to earth. Because he said, well, how, how must we pray? He said, how would be thy name? You start out with blessing and praise. And he said, what? <clears throat> how would be thy name and what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. How is it going to happen on earth as it is in heaven? Because when Jesus was asked, where is the kingdom of God? He said, the kingdom of God is here even now inside you. Mm. The kingdom of all kingdoms, the authority of all authorities, the power of all power resides in his children. And on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. You see, God isn't up and down like you and I are. When he sees you going through your crisis, he sees you going through your trials, it's not like he ignores it. Sometimes you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you think it'll be a month, and it ends up being a year. You think it's a year, and it's a decade. But those that wait upon the Lord, right, are renewed like eagles. God didn't call you to be a chicken. He called you to be an eagle. He didn't call you to scratch around and be that dirty thing, scratching around and rolling around and hacking and smacking and begging for a crumb. He called you to soar. He called you to be above and not beneath the head and not the tail. You know, not this trip, but the last trip in October of last year where we went swimming with sharks. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the most amazing things we ever done. And without a cage, you just have your little mask, your little snorkel thing, right? And they take you like three miles out to where the sharks are. And when they stop, they know a place. And you can see the sharks, the water, you can see 100 or 200 feet. It's this beautiful blue clear. And, and they said, when well, we went out there, I said, well, you know, what, well, what kind of day we're going to have? Well, this morning there was four or five sharks. You know, usually, the, you know, we'll see three to six. You know, every now and then you might see 10 or more. And then one of the boys asked the guy, because Corey, you know, obviously, Balsama, who got us going on this trip, he was, he was that was during his wedding, so he was on his honeymoon. And uh, the guy that was a guide was a good friend of his. And, and, and he said, uh, one of the boys said, well, what, what about that tiger shark? You know, the big tiger shark. And he laughs, and Corey must have mentioned that to you. He's upset at me. He's been out with me a bunch of times and never seen a tiger shark. He said, listen, he said, I, I might see one every 30 to 60 days at that, going out two or three times a day, five days a week. And, you know, if you see that, that that'd be awesome. He said, but just remember, if you see that shark, you'll notice that all the other sharks will flee the area that the tiger shark's in. We said, Okay. And he said, when that happens, we go to another level of silence and quietness, and we just kind of float and observe. In other words, don't move. <laughs> well, the Dalton boys are crazy. Oh, man, it'd be awesome to see a tiger shark. Oh, man, Lord, we just love to see a tiger shark. So we pull out, we're out there, and there's like five or six. I mean, sharks as long or almost as long or as long as this stage swimming around under the boat. He says, okay, now when we get in, we're just going to roll in quietly. We don't want to flutter around, you know. Okay. <laughs> so, so as we get ready to get in, Seth has amazing photos of this. We ought to put them up sometimes, let him see them. Uh, and as we're getting ready to go in, and he said, well, one of, one of the kids said, well, what do we do, you know, like if a shark comes at us? He said, well, you just look it directly in the eye. Well, why do you do that? So it won't think you're praying. Okay, so you look at the eye. Then what do you do? When you look at the eye, 99 out of 100 times, they're just going to swim away from you. 
Well, what about the one time out of 100 they don't swim away from you? I mean, it sounds like I'm making this up, but I got my holy, holy of wife over here. She, where I miss it, she hits the mark, believe me. And, and so he said, well, you punch it in the nose. I'm thinking, what if it's mouth opening, you miss its nose, you know? <laughs> I'm just kind of not going to say nothing. I'm like, okay. So, well, what if that doesn't? Then you reach out and you kick and you kick and you kick it in the face until, he said, but it, nothing, I've never had nothing. All these, you know, five years of doing this, never had anything like that. He said, you don't have nobody around here that, that happens to. Oh, okay. Well, there was one way back, but that service no longer exists because someone got bit. Oh, thank you for that information. <laughs> he said, oh, another thing I need to tell you, I always stay above the shark. Why you do that? Well, sharks, you notice they always swim above and all the other fish are under them. Well, why is that? Well, that's his domain, the shark's domain, and so they always keep their prey below them. Okay, great. So look at the shark, punch the shark, kick the shark, swim above the shark. Again, you look at that, there's five or six big sharks that's swimming around the thing. And so, so, uh, I know there's a reason I started to tell this story. I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. <laughs> Sometimes I like to just tell it because it's fun. And uh, so, so we're getting ready to get in the water. And he said, who wants to go? Everybody was gung-ho, right? Now everybody kind of looking at each other. Look, I'll go. Pearson, I'll go. So he rolls in the water. And then obviously Parker, then the rest of us get in. And we're swimming around. He says, now, when we get out here, they had a photographer there, and then they had a person on the boat. So she's, she also helps me if there's any trouble with the sharks, but she's going to take your photo. So what you want to do is go underwater and swim as close as you can to the shark, you know, as fast as you can, as slow as you can, as long as you can hold your breath. And we want to get a good shot of you close to the shark. Okay. So we're in there, and each one's doing their thing. And we're all in there. I mean, we were in there 20 or 30 minutes for this time. And, and by that, by within five minutes, there was a dozen sharks when everybody about 12. He's, you know, he, later on, he said, man, I haven't seen 12 in a long time. And kind of toward the end of it, all of a sudden, you see these sharks go, pew, 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 pew. and you see this big tiger shark move in. And he swims around, and the guy looks at He's like, don't do this, don't do that, can't go to the boat, you can't move. And I don't know, it was a couple minutes, maybe three or four, but it seemed like 20. And this big dude was just swimming around, looking. And then after he leaves, within a couple minutes, those sharks, boom, they were all right back there. But it was so amazing that a shark would swim, and, you know, I'm a dad, right? So if I, there's a dozen sharks, it's not like they're in one line in front of you. They're all around you, swimming, checking, diving, look, get, come up, look at you, and go away. So I'm dad. I'm looking around like, do I have to punch one to save my family or whatever? <laughs> they're all, Stephanie, you know, she's, her and Parker are like Mr. and Mr. Adventure, you know. They're just like, ah, let's jump off a cliff, you know. And uh, they're like, oh, there's another one, another one. I'm like, yeah, but there's three over here and one over there. And I'm like, looking, you know. It probably didn't help a thing, but I felt like it helped. I'd look at a shark and it'd swim away. <laughs> oh, Lord, that was fun. So, I have no remembrance of why I began to tell you that story. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway, the message is good. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said that because, you know, you're kind of spread out a little bit watching each other take pictures and looking at all the sharks. And, 
but we, we're still pretty close. He said, when the tiger shark comes, just kind of slowly float, you know, get yourself best as you can together because that helps. So yeah, being together, and I know what it was, staying above the sharks because when they would come and look at you, you had to look them in the eye so they'd know you're not praying. They'd swim away. But the majority of the time, you would only have maybe one or two come up and do that. Most of them would be under you, swimming around. And every now and then, they'd dart up and look at you or whatever. But the biggest thing was, it, it helped just knowing I got to stay above them. And that's what Christ done for you and I. We get to stay above everything in this life when we're in him. We get to rise above sin, death, sickness, disease. We get to rise above all of that. And as we rise above all of that and allow not the weapon formed against us. God said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. So it's up to you and I to stay above our circumstances, to stay above our trials. Didn't say you wouldn't go through trials. Didn't say you wouldn't have circumstances that are not favorable to you. Just said, stay above those. And what I want you to realize today is you have the kingdom authority as a child of God and as you begin to understand your identity, we're really big into coaching and leadership and and we want to train and teach, and Elder Mark's so amazing. So many here are great at that. And, and as, as we do that, why are we doing it? We're trying to bring the potential out of you, impart to you the potential out of you to be a leader. Today, I want to go a step beyond leadership and bring the potential out of you that is in you, which is the DNA of Christ himself, the DNA of God. The Spirit of God living inside you, able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You know, Acts 10, 38, back in 2019, just became one of those hallmark scriptures for us. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God was with him. And then the, whole, the scripture for this, this series, Supernatural Lifestyle, is Mark 12, verses 30 through 33. I'll just read a couple of them. It says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the foremost commandment. The second is like it, mirrors it. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. And as we focus, no matter what circumstance or situation we have in life, what are, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to recalibrate and refocus ourselves on that first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and what? Love your neighbors yourself and go about, say, say this to me, doing good. Go about what? Go about what? Whenever I'm battling sickness, many times I'll preach on healing. Because I know if I release an anointing for healing, it's got to be in me and around me somewhere, and I begin to receive a healing at a greater level. Whenever I need to grow my faith, I'll start a series on faith. Because I'm just like you, the more I hear the Word of God, faith comes by how, Romans says? Hearing and by hearing the Word of God. The first hearing is natural hearing, right? When I hear the Word of God, scriptures like these, but the second hearing is revelation. In other words, I see it differently. I hear it differently. I see it not of this world, but of the world that's the world of God, the kingdom of God. So today, for a few minutes, because we've had a lot going on, I want to talk to you about this, your true identity and destiny to live a supernatural lifestyle. Mark 3.17 
says this, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You know, Jesus had a self-awareness of his identity before he was anointed. Because he didn't do any miracles or any great things until he was after he was baptized. He was wise. He could scuffle around with the high priests and the people of the temple and outsmart them. But he did no signs and wonders or anything supernatural until he was anointed with Holy Spirit. And right there where it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, what had just happened? He came down to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, here he is, look, the son of God. He said, no. He said, you should baptize me. And he said, no, do according to what the father said. Even the son of God operated according to what the father said. And when he was baptized, when he came out instantly, the heavens opened. And the Bible says, Holy Spirit as a dove came down and was on his shoulder covering him. And the voice of the father marking his identity, not just for him, but for everyone. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that point on, Jesus, what did he do? He went into the wilderness and he fasted 40 days and nights and fought the devil and all that cool stuff. And he came out and he traveled village to village to village doing signs and wonders. And then in Luke 4, 18, we, it mirrors Isaiah 61. It began to tell what his mission was, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, right? To heal the sick. So God empowered him with an anointing but it began with his DNA. You see, you and I, the reason we're born again, that means something must have been born before. How can you be born again if something wasn't born before? See, you were born originally in your natural body, but we fall under the curse of Adam and Eve who sinned against God and brought enmity between them and God and brought, light, brought death, sickness, and disease back, and all those things, and we've all been born in through that. But to be born again, John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, said, you must first, what? To be born again, to enter the kingdom of God, you must, what? Be born again. Then again, he explained it. Then the second time, he said, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What's he talking about? Revelation, revealing of the kingdom of who your real DNA is. So Jesus saw the heavens open, heard the Father's voice, and saw Holy Spirit as a symbol manifest on him as a dove. In other words, this gave Jesus, the Son of God, not only the faculties, the mental faculties to know that he is the Son of God, but what else did it do? It gave him the confidence to know that he now is anointed as the Son of God. You see, Christ is not his last name or first name. Christ is Creo. It means anointed one. We are the anointed ones after him, the little anointed ones, the pieces of him in this earth. And Jesus, with his self-awareness, and as he releases the revelation to us, now we can tap into Big Brother's anointing, his Christos, his Creo, and we can begin to live in that. Not only for ourselves, but as everyone was talking about early, earlier, to give to others. Jesus knew his identity, and he knew his purpose and, and was firmly grounded in it, but he knew it all began with his father. I told you last week about the illustration that after Jesus had rose from the dead and Peter and John are going into the temple, 
And there was a crippled man, been crippled for over 38 years, and his family would bring him to the temple every day because it was a great moneymaker for their family. Family, This crippled child, crippled, young, crippled man was there now. Peter and John stopped, and Peter said, silver and gold, we, we have not. We don't have silver and gold, but as we have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In other words, we don't have money to give you, but we have something better than money. We have healing to give you, and the anointing of our Christ is on us. The same creo is on us, and we give you that anointing, rise up and walk. Now, think about this. That was the place Jesus worshiped at in that city daily. How many times did he walk by the same crippled person? and never heal them. See, we always have questions. Well, why did God do this? And why did God not do that? God operates through destinies and assignments to destinies. Just as Christ had his assignment as the son of God, we have our assignment from the Father. And from that, we operate according to the capacity of faith and revelation we have in him and in his kingdom. And as we understand that, then we can begin to bring his kingdom to earth, his salvation, his healing, his deliverance, his freedom, his wisdom, his understanding, his life. And what is that life? His life is a heavenly life. It's not, it's not of this world. It's of his world, the kingdom of God. So as we begin to think about this and have a realization to understand you and I that are born again, blood-bought, born-again believers, we must come to the realization of what? That the divine Godhead inheritance is not something you have, it's something you are. <laughs> the divine, divine theos in the Greek means trinity or, or Godhead, it means. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You and I don't have an inheritance. We are an inheritance. We are an inheritance to the Son of God. And we are his little brothers and little sisters. And because of his sowing of his life, dying and his blood atoning for our sin, rising to the right hand of a father, being a mediator between us and Satan and hell. Allows you and I to be his inheritance. So when Satan's messing with you, he's not messing with you. He's messing with the inheritance of God. As a matter of fact, he's messing with the inheritance of the Son of God. You wonder every week, I say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Why? Because that's how I have to live, just like you have to live. Because I'm like you. I'm not perfect. I mess up. I blow it. But here's the thing I know. On my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. 90% of Christians go around and it's not that they don't have faith, it's that they apply their faith through something that they already have. What are you saying? You've already been free of condemnation when you receive grace to be saved. Why do we spend all of our time and our faith and our fasting and our prayer to get our mind free of condemning ourselves because we know we're not perfect. Therefore, we don't have faith and grace to release on other people's lives and situations and circumstances to bring transformation. In other words, we're trying to transform what has already been transformed. Let me tell you something, honey. You can't do a better job on you than Jesus did on you. And you keep trying to fix yourself up and work yourself up and do all those things you want to do. But greater is he who is in me, 
than he who is in this world. Ah, oh, the preacher's just saying go sin. Whatever. If you don't have that, you're probably not. If you don't have any more revelation than that, you can just visit in some other place, maybe. Or stay and get it. Because here's the thing, guys. God, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. The book of Numbers says, I am God and I cannot lie. Another scripture says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Romans 5 says that what Jesus is the second Adam, right? The first Adam brought sin, death, and hell. But what did the second Adam, it says in Romans 5, says the second Adam, Jesus, the son of God. He didn't bring that, right? He, he, it says he is grace. You're saved by Jesus, I mean by grace. We want to look at the characteristics of Jesus, his attributes, right? We want to look at the attributes. What's that? His strength and his healing and his love and his faith and his wisdom. That's, that's attributes. That's not who he is. That's what he's equipped with. Who he is is the son of God. Who he is is grace. Yes, he's on part of the Trinity, the Godhead, but he is also grace because God said through my son, what? for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, what did he, he did not come to judge or condemn the world, but he came that he sent his son that through him the world what might be saved. You can't save yourself any better than God saved you. And we spend so much time, and I, I believe in growth, spiritual growth, leadership, all these things. But we got to also realize, guys, some, at some point, you got to use it. You can't be like one of those students that has three PhDs and they're looking for another class to take. You are the answer to your family. You are the answer to your neighborhood. You are the answer to your workplace. You are the answer to your community. You are. Say, I am the answer. What's God's viewpoint? Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever comes to God must believe that he is. One translation said that he exists, that he is God. And when you look at Jesus, he is the son of God. He is, the Bible says, the elder brother, right? But the Bible also says he is grace. So when we look at, there's two kinds of grace. There's the grace, the person of Jesus, and there's the attributes of grace that the person has. Jesus wasn't looking for people that wanted his attributes. Jesus was looking for the people that wanted him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. So in other words, you might miss it a time or two. You might miss it and you're seeking him and you don't hear him or you don't feel him or you don't sense him. But, Jesus, but the Bible says those that diligently, that means you're steadfast. That means that no matter what, you'll focus on life and family and career and education and all that. But when the buck hits the road, who you focus on? You're focusing on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because what? If it has a name, it has to bow. I said, if it has a name, it has to bow. And if I diligently seek Jesus, I diligently seek my heavenly father. Jesus is my mediator, my high priest. As I diligently seek him, no matter what I'm dealing with, right? 
As I diligently seek him, that's when things are revealed and released to me. His attributes are manifested to me to do what I need to do or overcome what I need to overcome. But if I just focus on the problem, I focus on the failure, it's good to assess, figure out what went wrong, make it better. Don't do it again. How can I keep myself out of that? How can I do better? That's great. But the first thing you got to do is look to him. Because you'll begin to see a reflection of his image, his anointing in you, on you, and a part of you. Greater is he who is in you. Why do you think, you know, that demonic person that's, their kid's on the same team yours and they hate you and you've never done nothing to them? Because they hate the anointing on you. They, they sent, you don't even have to say you're a Christian. They sent something about you. I'll walk in a place sometimes and Somebody don't even know me, and they're just troubled or weird or angry toward me. Well, why is that? It's not just because I look a certain way. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's the Christ in you and on you. The creo, the anointing of the anointing one on you and in you. It agitates the darkness. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So <clears throat> the Bible says that God's viewpoint is if we'll come to him through faith. Well, what is faith? Hebrews 11, 1, now. One more time, let's all say it together. I wonder how many congregations could quote that scripture in our nation today. It's one of the most important scriptures other than John three sixteen. Why is that? Because faith is not in the past or the future. In the future, it's hope. Now, faith is what? Knowing and trusting God. I know and trust in him because I know him and what his word says about him. Faith is what? Now, faith is knowing and trusting God. So now faith is what? The substance of the healing I'm hoped for. Now faith is the vehicle of the healing I need. Now faith is the vehicle of the breakthrough I need. Now faith is the, the vehicle to the deliverance. What does it do? Faith goes into the unseen. First Corinthians talks about now faith is what sees the unseen. You don't have to see it. You just got to know the seer. And faith is the vehicle that we use, the access to go into the unseen realm and to make it manifest in your current realm. <clears throat> hmm. So God has said in <clears throat> Hebrews eleven three that he framed the worlds through his word and through his faith. That word framed in the Greek, katamiso, it means, uh, not katamiso, it's another word, but in the Greek it means to fit, finish, and fashion. God set the world up. He fitted it for you. He fashioned it for you. And he made it so you could succeed. Well, I don't know about that. Well, 2 Timothy 1.9, what's it say about you? Whom is saved, he who is saved and called. Not are you called or maybe called. He who is saved is called, not according to your own calling but with a whole, or your own works, but according to the holy calling of God in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, God knew you. Well, how does God know me? Well, you know. I mean, even your science here. Well, what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he must be in your yesterday, your today, and your forever at the same before time began, he knew you. And he saved you and called you. 
But it's interesting, isn't it, that John 3, 16, God said that you might be saved. The doubt is not on God's end. The doubt is on our end. Will we access through faith? Are we going to be saved, access grace through faith? Am I going to be saved by grace through faith? Am I going to be saved by Jesus, Creo, anointed one, through faith? Am I going to get his attributes in my life? What's his attributes? Life never ending. Healing. 1 Peter 2, 9, by his stripes you were healed. Deliverance, freedom, increase, more than enough. <clears throat> Another thing <clears throat> I want you to understand is we're not any longer servants, but God said we're friends. We're friends. It's like me and my, our boys, Steph and I, at least once a week when everybody's in town, everybody comes to our house and usually more than that. Why is that? Because we're not just their parents and they're not just our sons, they're our friends. Now, there's a respect of parenting, which some need to learn, that you're not always, you, got, you don't operate from the office of friend, you operate from the office of parent. Just like Father God operates from the office of God, but he also operates as the office of a friend. Anyway. <clears throat> John 15, 15. Says, I am no, I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You say, Yeah, but no one knows everything Jesus did. You can through revelation. In other words, you may not know, you will never know all of it, but you'll know what you need to know if you seek him diligently through faith. That's the second hearing I was talking about. Jesus promotes us from servants to friends, sharing with us all we receive. Now, look at this. What is the significance of being a child of God? Well, John 1.13, part of it says this. We are children born of natural descent. We are children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but we're born of God. In other words, you are born flesh and blood and all that. But when you are born again, what 1 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. And what? All things have become new. Why, why have all things become new to you? Why is it? The reason all things have become new to you is because you are operating from a different personhood. I'm not operating from my lovely mom that's in heaven, Ruby's sonship. I'm operating from the sonship of my heavenly father. And I was made a son by grace, his son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit lives in me to verify that and on my behalf. But it took me making a decision to receive that. And to receive it, I had to first believe it. And I had to seek it and I had to ask for it. So our heritage as we begin to understand our heritage, guys, and realize that we are sons and daughters of God, what is, that's our ultimate identity. That's our supernatural identity. We have a divine lineage. What's that? Theos, God-like lineage. Galatians 4 says this, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> it says, well, I'm going to read 6 and 7. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Think about that. The spirit of his son, Creo, anointed one, Jesus, 
in our hearts. It says that, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That means Daddy God. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Then heir of God through Christ. We came through the son, the grace, the Christ, the Christus. You know, I'd been preaching the gospel for over 20 years. You've heard me tell this story. And a little over 10 years ago, I'd found myself in depression. I didn't know what depression was. And I went away to this amazing man of God that's a great friend of mine now. He's retired. His daughter runs the practice now. John Walker, Dr. Walker. <clears throat> Steph's like, you need to go somewhere. I heard about this guy. And it wasn't cheap. And had an economy crash. We're believing. And mom had just died. We've been betrayed by people. A lot of stuff going on. <clears throat> and... I'd really been shaken, and I was just praying, fasting, get away, preaching, doing all these things. But I'd eventually just become numb that all I did was drive to church, preach, drive home, drive to church and work five days a week, drive home. And Steph knew that wasn't me. I gave up hobbies, golf, everything. <clears throat> and so she said, and, and I wasn't afraid to go, even though from my lack of knowledge, I used to preach, you, you don't need that. You just need God. I'll lay hands on you. You'll be okay. We'll counsel it out of you, whatever. <clears throat> but I needed some, something in my toolbox I didn't have. And when she told me about this person, I said, okay, and they were in Colorado at the time. And I remember as I'm flying there to spend a week, I just began to cry as the plane starts. They say, okay, everything up. The plane started to descend. I just began to bawl. Uncorrupted. People must have thought I'd lost a loved one. Or, and I'm just crying. And you know what I was crying about? I was like, God, I have prayed, I have fasted, I have served, I've done everything I know to do. And I'm still bound with this cloud in my mind and my heart with no hope. What if this man can't help me? What if he can't help me? And as I got there, it became one of the greatest weeks of transformation in my life. And now we send people there and we've even visited back <clears throat> just amazing toolbox. We use it in our curriculum here. Uh, hang, what's it called? Uh, Unhindered, the book. She wrote that here, she and her father. They have a great tool set. But the reason I was telling you that, <clears throat> I'd found myself at the end and I needed something I didn't. I needed a revelation. He's a godly man and he gave me revelation, but the biggest thing I battled was my identity. It wasn't that I didn't know I was a child of God, but I saw myself as a servant or a slave and not a son. I, I was always trying to please God. My whole first 25 years of being a Christian and my 22, 23 years of preaching the gospel, I was like, the better I do, the more he'll love me. You know, the better I serve him, the less I sin, the more he'll bless me. The less I do, the, it was all about pleasing the father. It wasn't about receiving the father as Abba, as daddy. And, and he gave me this slogan and I, I mean, he gave me some tools and it's great. But for two or three years, when I'd come up in the pulpit, I'd say I, to myself, you all wouldn't have known it. And the people here at the time wouldn't have known it. I said under my breath, I have nothing to prove. Because my whole life, I had to prove myself. My whole life, you know, raising my dad was dead at three months, single mom, you know, one of the smaller kids in my class. I always, we were poor. I always had to prove myself. Then I had to prove myself in working and in, in high school, sports and business. And then even in ministry, even though I was blood-bought and born again, I didn't have the revelation of my identity in Christ. And that is I'm a son. And on my best day, I'm a son. And on my worst day, I'm a son. And nothing's going to change that as long as I seek my father. And what I want you to realize is, guys, I had to come back to the very roots to do some work that I had missed. 
What is that? Realizing that it's not about me. It's about him and it's about others. The anointing of God is in me for my sake, but he's on me for yours. The anointing of God is in you for your sake, but is on you for others. It's not a one-way street. I was so busy doing for others, I neglected me. Most people are doing so much for themselves, they neglect others. But both are wrong. You've got to have both sides of the coin operating in your life. And then what happens, you begin to do what we're going to do next week in the city. You're going to be walking in a supernatural, an above lifestyle. Hallelujah. Let me wrap this up. There's four pillars of relationships with God. Four levels, four pillars of relationship with God. I'm not only get deep into these, but I'll just give you a highlight. The first pillar, foundation, is access. Everybody say access. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, 16 said, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. One translation says with boldness. It says in that verse, right? The whole verse is like, we do not have a God that cannot feel our infirmities, Right? We do not have a God that let us approach his, give me verse 15 and then and I'll do 16. That's NIV, it's good enough. Hallelujah. Can you, can you go back to 15 or is we, we locked up? There we go. For we do not have a high priest who, who cannot emphasize with our weaknesses, who is unable to emphasize our, Jesus is what? The high priest. He is the mediator on the right hand of God, mediating on our behalf in the court and justice of God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been, what, tempted in every way. Remember the 40 days of fasting? Just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's what enabled him to be our atonement. Now let's go to verse 16. 15 was real good. We did that. That was, let's do 16 now. That is 16? Oh, okay. Well, that's on me. Let us then approach God's throne. See, I'm humble. <laughs> Just kidding. So, let us then, uh, I do know my weaknesses, right? Let us then approach God's throne of grace what? with confidence or faith so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The very first thing we receive when we receive Christ, we receive our salvation. What is it? We receive access. Everybody say access. On your good day, you can access the throne. On your bad day, your worst day, you can access the throne. What's the second thing we get? We get intimacy. Intimacy. John 5, 19 says, The Son can do nothing on his own, but what he sees the Father do. And Jesus gave us that scripture. If you read more of it, he's illustrating to us that he only says what the Father says, does what the Father tells him to do. And as we begin to understand that, we realize that we have intimacy with the Father to know what to do. Not to do it our way, but his way. The third one is influence. Everybody say influence. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone, somebody say everyone, who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it is opened. It will be open. What's this do? This begins to reveal to us the influence we have with God. When we need direction, when we need revelation, when we need impartation, when we need wisdom, when we need favor with man or favor with people. 
Bible, what's it say about sowing? Sowing says when you sow, uh, some receive 30, some 60, some 90, some 100-fold return. Shall what? Who? Shall men give into your bosoms? The way you get wealthy as a child of God is ingenious ideas, favor, wisdom, knowledge, hard work, but it's also influence with other people that invest in you, that sow into you, that buy from you, that do business with you, that provide a business you can grow in and take care of your family. Influence, somebody say influence. <clears throat> and the final one is authority, say authority. Matthew 10, one says, he gave them authority, what? To drive out evil spirits and to heal every, someone say every, disease, and sickness. And that's just one aspect. That's just one of his attributes. So I want you to realize today that <clears throat> as sons and daughters of God, what do we have? We have access to the throne. We have intimacy with the Father. We have influence of the Father, and we have the Father's authority that whatsoever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you need today, from heaven, he gives you access to it. That's where every gift, good gift from the Father. But Rome, uh, James says this, James 1, kind of toward, uh, 117, I think it is, says only good and perfect gifts come from the Father above. Only good and perfect gifts come from the light above, from the Father above, from heaven. So where is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said it's in you. So today, my goal is for you, preparing you even for next week as we go out into the city to realize whatever you face next week, someone's need you can't meet or whatever, good, then that means you need the supernatural anointing of God. It means you tap in out of this life to the supernatural life. Whatever it is you need, you, you have the creo, the anointing of the anointed one residing in you and on you, able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You have the love of God that you can't even manufacture on your own, but it's the love of the Father living in you, working for you. You have his mission that he's partnering with, that whoever is saved, what? Whoever is saved and baptized shall cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover, handle serpents, and they won't hurt you or die or whatever, and then... They will preach, go forth preaching the gospel and he will confirm it with signs following. Signs following. That'll be on October 8th. Oh, October 8th. I keep saying next. Well, we're just hurrying up, aren't we? Hurrying up. That'll be October. That's why we have a good elder for direction in the house right there. Give a hand for our elder. Thank you, Mark. Travis, he was whispering to Steph, but it took the elder, to, the office of elder to man up, right? No, nah, I'm just messing with Travis. I'm messing with Hallelujah. I just want you to close your eyes right now. And as we get ready to pray, what do you need access to the throne for today? <clears throat> Everyone in here has needs. Every, everyone in here has desires and plans and hurts and brokenness in our lives. Every one of us. Everyone in here needs certain types of influence. You may not need influence in a career or business. You might need it with your children or your family or your friends. What do you need access for? What influence do you need today? How do you need Holy Spirit to operate in your life to give you influence in business, in your family, in your health? You have authority today and intimacy.
from your intimacy, you'll begin to tap into that authority. This is your day. This is your time. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask for anyone in here that needs to rededicate your life or give your life to Christ for the first time. I'm going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. We'll just pray with you right where you are today. But if that's you, just remember, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no man or no one. So before we go to the next prayer, I just want to make sure we're ready to meet Jesus. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The key is which God are you going to be with, right? So on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand if you say, I need to come home to the Lord, or I need to rededicate, or I need to give my life to the Lord. It's all basically the same anyway. No one looking around but me and a couple of the leaders, so we'll know who to pray for. One, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, sir, back there for that hand. Way back there, yes, sir. Anyone else with this? Thank you, sir, up here. Anyone else? You want to be restored or come home to Christ? These two men have raised their hands, and we're, we're getting ready to pray. This is your opportunity as well. At the end of service, we'll have leaders give you communication. We want to be in contact with you. Let's all stand and pray this prayer with the two gentlemen that's given their life. Let's, first of all, what do we do when someone's coming home to God? <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Pray this way, dear Heavenly Father, I repent of sin. I ask you today to come live in my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. I thank you for your atoning blood, that today I am born again, I am blood bought, in the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you believe that this morning, give God a shout. Hallelujah. I want to, I want us all right now to just close our eyes one more time. Usually we don't close our eyes. I just feel, feel it today to do it. What do you need today from your father? I just feel like today he's just saying, try me. Just like he did in Malachi 3 about tithing. Try me in this, says the Lord. See that I will not open up the windows of heaven. To pour out a blessing on you, there's not room enough to contain. I believe right that today. What, the answer you need, what you're believing for, it could be it. Put it on your heart, on your mind, and I'm going to pray for you right now. Some type of access or influence or intimacy from God or authority that you need to operate in a gift, whatever it might be. Father, right now, I just thank you for the power of Holy Spirit living in me and on me for others and living in each of those under the sound of my voice and on them for others. That, God, you set your apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers in Ephesians 4 to do what? To edify, to build up the saints to perfection, wholeness, and completeness. So today, whatever the saints need, I ask, Father, you move in that area for them. Whatever needing access in, intimacy in, influence in, authority in, I pray now your attributes are released your, from your creo, your anointing, and I thank you that we have it now in Jesus' name. Give God a shout of praise. I sure do love you. God bless you. Hallelujah.